Okay, we are live. So this is our Arizona post game show. I think last year we we usually recorded right after the game, and sometimes that was kind of miserable, especially with those eight thirty kicks. I mean, we had a couple where we were starting at like seven, yeah, um, seven thirty, or start not seven. The game started at like seven thirty, eight thirty, and we're recording at like one o'clock. And so I think even having a night to sleep on it might be a little better. Um. Uh, I think so. I mean, we've had a chance to let it marinate a little bit, um, and to uh, some of us have rewatched parts of the game or all of the game, and uh, I think that helps, you know. But I do kind of miss, and we'll ha- we'll have to play around with it as you know, road games and things like that throughout the year, kind of figure out what what everybody likes best. But I do enjoy just that raw emotion of good or bad immediately after the game. It makes me feel like we're really hosting like a, a late night radio call in show where everybody just yells about, you know, whatever play call. I don't know. That's fun. Right. But did you get did you do you have season tickets this year? I do not. Okay. So yeah. I so do not. It's... And and it, that's my silent protest. I, I don't think I will be a season ticket holder at BYU until I get a chair back. I donate to the program, I go to away games, I do all that stuff, but until they either make those bleachers fat man accommodated, or they put chairbacks everywhere, which would accomplish the first thing, I don't think I can support being a season ticket holder anymore. I continue to donate, I do all of that stuff, I'm not protesting the program, but man, uh, I appreciate the new scoreboards, but I'd rather not have somebody's knee in my back. I don't know. Call me crazy. That was one thing about the stadium that I noticed on Saturday is that it was a lot steeper than a typical NFL stadium. Like NFL stadiums are typically like kind of spread like front to back in your sight lines from the field, especially if you're in their lower bowl aren't great, but it was nice that the chairs, it was like the chair was like at the, your feet were at the top of the chair, the person in front of you. So you never had any, like there were no knees and backs. It was a very comfortable stadium to sit in. It was. And you know what? I, I have a very, very high-level agenda uh, put together just for, for us, Garrett, to kind of um, to, to just to kind of keep us on task as we go through this. And that's the first thing that I really wanted to talk about was the game experience and the atmosphere of Allegiant Stadium. That was the first football game that counts in that stadium. Right, I, and maybe they did, or did the Raiders play there last year? I can't remember. That was the I first college there last game. year. Yeah. Okay, so the first one that counts with fans inside, and uh, it, I I really enjoyed it. I've seen some complaints. I mean, the audio was weird. Like, there's no question they've got to they've got to work some things out there. Um, I didn't like the seeming inability of this uh, of the whatever the the entertainment crew to show replays, like the video crew. There just wasn't replays immediately after the game, which I thought, or after the play. I thought that was weird. They started to figure it out a little bit more, uh, but it was overall the replays, it was like they had these big, beautiful scoreboards or video boards, and they did not utilize them. I thought that was strange. I I did not like the hype man, but I want to throw a caveat out there that the hype man who was there, so for those of you who are not in the stadium, uh, they treated this game like it was a, a Vegas, almost like a nightclub kind of a deal. Like they had a little stage, they had a DJ, and they had a guy who was playing hype man throughout the entire uh, throughout the entire game. And it felt a little, I don't know, a little high schooly, a little bit. But I liked the idea of this is Vegas, and Vegas sells experiences, right? They're more than just 
the football game. It is you are going to Vegas to get the feel of Vegas. It's unique. It's it's not something you can get in any city or any NFL stadium across the country. So I like the idea of treating it differently. I would be really curious to see what it's like uh, for a Raiders game. Um, he he needed some work. I mean, I, you could tell they were trying to find this balance of okay, we're we're the hype man. There there's adults. There's there's kids. You know, whatever. So it was like this weird, funny balance. But I like the idea. I'm anxious to see how that improves over the course of the, the you know, the next several weeks and months. But overall, Agreed. I liked the stadium. I thought it was fun. Yeah, I'm really excited. I actually uh, looked before I checked out of my hotel and they were not taking reservations for next October, but I was already planning on just booking a room right then and there to have it I all packaged the, up and ready to go for Notre I, Dame. I did the same thing. For both weekends that uh, the both teams are available, I was just going to to get a room for both and hope for the best. Yeah, they my the hotel I was at said they were only booking until July of next year. Um, what were what were your thoughts? Uh, concessions? Did you try any of the restaurants? I I, I really uh, liked. I really I liked didn't. that they had I tables. Ate I ate before, but I did see the tables, and I thought that was really cool. Like, and it was a better experience. Um, but I I didn't. I ate before I went into the stadium, so I didn't get anything there. Gotcha. I I ate at I think it was called Spring Chicken. It was like a a yard bird restaurant. It was delicious stadium food. Some of the best stadium food I've had. But I you like yard bird for people that don't know yard bird is that's like you're talking like a chicken leg quarter. Uh, well, yard bird. Sorry, yard bird. The restaurant was uh, I guess this is like a subsidiary or a mini version of yard bird. The restaurant. There's a few of them. I think that they've kind of changed themselves out. There's a few. I know there's one in Miami. Uh, there's one at the the Venetian in in Las Vegas. There's a few of them. Uh, anyway, great. It was just it's just chicken strips is all that it was, but it was fantastic. And because of the the traffic and the parking situation that everybody had heard so much about prior to the game, uh, I showed up early, right? And uh, I, what I liked about the 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 way that the concessions were laid out with those tables is you could go and have dinner almost, you know, in the stadium and have like that dinner experience of sitting down at a table. There was a waitress who came, took orders and did things for us. It was really cool. And I thought that was a a, a different twist on the pregame, go to the stadium, you know, 90 minutes early. So I enjoyed it overall. I thought it was really good. That is, if I'd known that, I probably would have gone and eaten there just to get a little more time to spend inside and walk around um so just to kind of preface how this works um <clears throat> we do if you open up in the channels whether you're on your phone or on your computer whatever you're listening on um there is under game threads you can see a sub thread that says arizona post game questions if you have some thoughts you can put them there um and then if you are listening to us we have a high level agenda where we're going to talk about the good and the bad and then we will open up the proverbial phone lines and kind of and take those from our vip subscribers can raise their hand and when you are in um you when you are in the uh when you're in the what do you call this the stage is what they call it right you can click raise your hand and it'll kind of set up a queue and we can let you on kick you off um as you wrap up so everyone will get a chance to say their piece and we'll probably this will probably run on, on maybe 45 minutes or an hour we'll see how long it goes and i don't know maybe we'll be here for like four hours if everyone just wants to talk just kidding i don't want to talk for that long that's too long um but then so let's kind of share our thoughts of you know thoughts about the game whatever so let's start with the good i think we can all agree that neil Pau was the very good the very uh, yeah. very good yeah he uh, was the good jaron hall quarters two through four was also was the pretty good i thought jaron was really good I, I mean, he was really good after that first. So I would just say, yeah, like after, because the first quarter, right, he started out one for seven and then 
or yeah, you start out one of or one of six, one of six, so, yep, and then finish seventeen of twenty-two. So yeah, it's like I, you once he settled down and got through those first little bit of a jitters, and I think some of that was I'm trying to remember how many p- attempts he had at the point that Keenan Ellis got hurt. Well, um, we gotta we we need to talk about that. Uh, we we had that lower on the agenda, but you bring it up, right? The Keenan Ellis injury. There was that was a. One, it was a really long delay. It was a scary injury. It sounds like everything is going to be okay now. In fact, I, I sent Keenan a text just, I don't know, like an hour ago. And, uh, you know, just asking him how he was doing. He let me know he's he's doing okay. So it sounds like he's okay. Uh, he's going to be out for a few weeks. Sounds like, at the end of the day, severe concussion is what uh, I, I'm gathering. Like I guess if you're the doctor diagnosing what it was. It sounds like that's what it was. There were some other things going on that I'm not going to speculate on because I don't know the details, and, and frankly, I don't care, but it sounds like the, the end result is just a severe concussion. So he's going to be out for a few weeks. I say just a severe concussion, like that's not a big deal, but a severe concussion. Uh, he'll be out a few weeks, I'm sure, but long-term, everything should be okay. Uh, so that's good, but the impact of that injury was significant. I mean, one, there was the long delay, and that was weird, right? Like, any time you're in the opening game, and the emotions are flowing high, there's all those jitters, all that stuff, and then you have a delay that long. Like, that's that's tough. But a delay that long caused by something that was that scary, right? Like, you saw, uh, it was either Chaz or Jaron, number three, maybe somebody who was sitting on that sideline could tell me who it was, but you saw a player run up into the stands and get... What I think a lot of people assumed was Keenan Ellis's mom. It was actually uh, Chaz Ayu's mom. Keenan Ellis, uh, I think, lives with Chaz, if I remember right. But he spends a lot of time at the Ayu house. They're very, very close. And so it was actually Chaz Ayu's mom who came down onto the field. But you could see, like, they're not going out and grabbing a family member, a close friend, relative, whatever, unless that is a, a significant, scary event. And so right. for the team to have to sit there for as long as they did, did and and watch that that's scary and so you have the long delay people start tightening up a little bit and you also have this like the magnitude of is my teammate my friend gonna be okay that was a scary scary thing and so uh what do you think the impact of that was overall to me it felt like it took byu another quarter almost to like get back into game flow. It felt like that really derailed what they were doing. And and it kind of, I mean, it felt like it for both teams, right? Like that's not just something that affects BYU because the other team, I mean, they saw it happen. They were playing on the play too. They could, you know, the thought is still going through their head that, you know, that could be me the next time the ball gets snapped. Um, And so it, it really affected both teams, I think. And there was, I mean, it just really created a really weird first quarter. And I kind of feel like the game almost didn't start until the second quarter because of that. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. And and even into the, you know, midway through the second quarter, like it, it really felt like that impacted the game for a while. Um, Jaron Hall was good. You know what, before we move off of that, one thing that uh, it was actually my dad, my dad, so that we were sitting on the Arizona side. And I had had about two... You, you were not sitting on the Arizona side. You were sitting on the less BYU side. There you go. I, I was sitting on the the... Arizona side that had been completely infiltrated by BYU fans. Uh, and coincidentally, I was sitting next to Alex Lines's family, 
If you guys don't remember Alex Lines, uh, what was he? I think he was a three-star tight end a couple of years ago. Member of the church. BYU was on him. Ultimately, they didn't have room. He signed with UNLV, transferred to Arizona. He was the tight end who, I think he was number 88. He, he had a late catch in the fourth quarter. And that was really cool to see. He's now walking on at Arizona. I'm sure he'll be on scholarship soon. But it was really cool for to just see him and see with his, you know, sit with his family and, and see their excitement for his first catch. That was that was awesome. Uh, but I was sitting on the Arizona side, and, and the way that I bought tickets, I bought them forever ago, and I bought two pairs of tickets. So I had one pair on row seven and one pair on row three. And my dad and another family member were sitting on row three, and that was a that was on one end of the aisle that they were. I don't know if they were blocked from seeing what was going on or if they just had a better view of the sideline or they just happened to be paying attention and I wasn't. But a, an injury that would last that long, that brought out a stretcher, that brought out the, the backboard, you know, all of that stuff. It was clearly a scary injury. They noticed that nobody on the Arizona side was kneeling. Now, I'm not, this isn't like a conspiracy, Arizona, how awful are they? That, that's not what we're doing here. But that's a little bit weird, right? Like, you don't have injuries like that where both teams don't, you know, kneel down on the sideline and just stop. Like, the, I, I did notice that the punter, the long snapper, like, they were taking they were taking practice reps on the sidelines while the doctors and the medical staff trainers were attending to Keenan Ellis as he was, you know, seizing and convulsing or whatever he was doing on the ground. I thought that was a little bit weird. Is that I weird or is that me? I think that's weird. Felt like, weird. that's... It, it, that is... Very weird. So maybe they didn't care about that and they were just not paying attention at all. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I feel like after, I mean, because it's normal, right? Like after an injury, you kind of ignore it for a minute because you expect them like, oh, he's just going to get up and walk off and it'll be okay. But it's like, as it, I mean, that was 20 minutes that he was down there. Yeah. And so that is, that is very strange. Um, but let's get back to the grades here. So we have, we talked about Neil Powell. So he finished uh, with like what, eight catches for a hundred and 18 or some odd yards and 26. two touchdowns, 26. Yep. Um, yep. And just fantastic, right? Like it's, we heard all through camp that he was getting a ton of separation, that he looked like he had stepped up in a big way and made big strides and he really showed it, right? Like he was the, I mean, he was the best kind of, he was the best pure receiver in the game, right? In terms of stretching the field, like getting downfield, he was working all sorts of things and he really looked like he's kind of grown into his body and you know, really look like he's ready to make this last year of his career count. Yeah, he's, he come, a, he's come a long way since. Uh, well, I mean, I guess what he scored the touchdowns against, um, you know, Arizona in this season opener from his freshman year when he scored the like only touchdown against Portland State. Uh, yeah, uh, he he looked really good. One thing I really liked about Neil Pau's game: not only did he look good, play well, he lined up. I think he of the thirty-three design pass like true pass plays, he was in the slot for eighteen of them and in the uh, out wide for fifteen of them. Like he was versatile. He lined up everywhere. He was on the field for more than ninety percent of the snaps that BYU took. Neil Powell was spectacular. There's no question about it. He was the uh, he was the MVP of the offense, and, and and he needed to be. After Gunner went down, the Nakuas didn't really play. Uh, he needed to step up and be that guy, and he proved that he can. Uh, I was also impressed with Chris Jackson and Keanu Hill. Uh, they they didn't you know blow anybody's skirt up with their with their stats or anything like that, but they they did the job. They they picked up a couple first downs. There there was no I think maybe Keanu had a drop if I'm remembering right, but there was no they didn't make any mistakes. 
and they were threats. They they were getting open. They were creating space. Jaron could found them a few times throughout the game. Uh, they they did their job, and I don't know if those two were expecting to play the number of reps that they did prior to kickoff, uh, but because of game flow injuries, things like that, they ended up getting in the game. They were ready to play. Great compliments to Pau, who was clearly the star. Overall, I was I was very pleased with the receivers, but man, really hope the Nakua's are back next week because uh, there it's very clear that while those three played well, there is a level of I don't know what like the the, the like, there's a level of dynamic play that was missing that, that BYU needs to get to, and hopefully the Nakua's can get there. Uh, Jaron Hall, though, I, I did like his game a lot, and it reminded me a little bit. Now, this isn't to say he's going to have this meteoric rise like Zach Wilson did last year, but do you remember Zach last year against Navy? He didn't play particularly well. Now, he didn't have to do a whole lot. Navy was terrible, and BYU dismantled them brick by brick, but Zach didn't play. He, he wasn't overly impressive in that game. He was 13 of 18. Uh, 230 yards, two touchdowns, and a pick. It was a pretty pedestrian game. That was, you know, that was the Tyler Algier show, Lopini Katoa show. Like those, those guys really took over that game against Navy. And Zach was just kind of there. And I, I felt like Jaron. Obviously, Arizona was a better team than what Navy was last year. And Jaron, it felt really similar to me. I, I think that Jaron has a lot of really good football ahead of him. This game felt like him getting his feet wet it was it's really easy to forget that was the first game he's ever finished right that was his only his third career start and first career finish so uh, given that circumstance the emotions the jitters all that stuff i i actually came away really really impressed with jaron hall i left having more warm fuzzies about jaron hall in 2021 than i did after watching zach in the opening game of 2020 and i know that sounds sacrilegious with you know with the benefit of hindsight but that's that's the honest truth. I felt like Jaron game one performed better than what we saw from Zach game one a year ago. Right, and it wasn't until after week three, right? Because it was game one against Navy. We're like, okay, he looks good. Like thumb is better. He's throwing the ball better. And then the game against Army got canceled. We play Troy, and he looked good against Troy. And then it was after Louisiana Tech. I remember recording our post game show and be like, okay, starting in a week or two, there's going to be draft bus. Because yeah, yep. like he's done it three weeks in a like the back to back games he has had. That's not normal. And yeah. so, I mean, who knows what Jaron's going to do? But yeah, I definitely agree that he looked like he settled down. There was definitely some things like he wasn't coming, going through his progressions as fast. Some of that was later in the game. Um, and even A Rod alluded to this today and mentioned this in the coaches. Uh, or the coordinator's corner that they a lot of what they saw from the Arizona defense was not stuff that Don Brown had shown on film before, which to you know to some extent it makes sense, right? Because you know it's he has different athletes than what he had available to him at Michigan, and so he's going to do different things just because he doesn't have the same tools to work with. And so he saw he should they showed different things, so they said they went a little more conservative. Um, I know like they didn't target the tight ends as much. A lot of that, as I've kind of watched back through portions of the game, they did a lot of, you know, like um, keeping in tight ends. Like there were a lot of times when Isaac Rex, uh, actually I can pull up how many, do, 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 um, I was very yeah, like Isaac, Isaac Rex, use Isaac, Isaac Rex. Rex had nine, there were nine plays where he was in pass blocking and Dallin Holker only had, one. I mean, Holker only got 12 snaps. A lot of those, I noticed that Holker was split out wide. So I know they have they really do like trying to get him out there. But yeah, so Isaac Rex 
played 59 snaps and he had 30 of those were run blocking. And then um, he had nine plays. So of the 19 pass plays, um, nine of them, he was blocking. So they definitely went towards a max protect. We don't really know what we're going to see. Like, don't let Jaron force anything. And that was, you know, partially some of that. And the, the times when they did go out, they did stick a man on him and they tried to basically they tried to neutralize Isaac Rex and then offensively we also kind of neutralized him just to make sure that Jaron had time to throw and didn't feel rushed and didn't force anything. So some of it was by design, some of it was what Arizona did. Um and I don't think that's gonna go on right. Like it's as more even I think this week you'll see it a lot more because there's decades of Whittingham defensive tape that A Rod has seen in practice in person and watch himself. Like, you know, it's he's not there's zero there's not going to be any confusion about what's going to happen and they know exactly what they're going to be looking at and so in that regard um i really do think that jaron looks great and i'm not worried at all about the quarterback production um peyton and we know about tyler tyler Algier was tyler Algier, right like he he's got more burst right now like he 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 hit those he always hits holes hard but he's got a little bit more burst this year that he's getting up to his top speed quicker than he was in the past Uh, i think yes and i think i see that and i'm I know, I mean, if maybe people have missed that, and we've talked about it a couple times, but after the pro day in the spring, um, towards the end of spring ball, they did run a kind of a combine for current players in the program, and Tyler Algier ran a lasered 439.40. So it's, I mean, the size and speed, Tyler Algier is an NFL back, and yeah. will get a shot at the next level. And if, like, if he has another season like he does last year, his shot, like, he may be gone. And, and if I was him and I had back-to-back, you know, 13, 1400 yard seasons, however many he had in total yards between, you know, rushing and receiving. And if he averages six, seven yards a pop, like he did last year, he should probably go. Um, but he, he had a very Tyler Alger game. And I think we're going to see that all season. Like, I don't, I don't think he's going to have games where he just gets totally neutralized. And then Peyton Wilgar definitely led the way for the backers. And he, I mean, he stepped up, he had a, he had a sack or two. He had a few tackles for losses. Um, let's see, where'd he go? Yeah, he had a sack. He had three quarterback hurries, eight tackles, an assisted tackle. Um, and he struggled a little bit in pass protection. Like he had, I mean, he had an okay grade. He was tight on guys, but didn't he struggles playing the ball, which is something that linebackers normally struggle with. And that's where the Arizona defense attacked, right? Like they, they didn't try to push the ball downfield. And some of that is because the secondary played really, really well. And they neutralized everything kind of mid to long. And so and then they forced them to dump it off and play it short. And so I'm, and he was on guys that he was covering at five targets and five receptions. So he was right on them, but just wasn't playing the ball um, super well on that. But he, he had a great game and we kind of saw at the key times and, you know, people, I've seen people say like, oh, it's, you know, Tuyaki. It's like, he, he does know how to blitz. Like, oh my gosh, he finally figured out how to do it. He's always known how to do it. Right. It's just, did you trust it? And if you watch the secondary, what they did, like they let them just play. Like they let one have in those receivers that Arizona had, those were fast. And those guys were like, they were quick and you know, they might be some of the best, like those are going to be some of the best receivers, at least in the way that Jedfish utilized them that we see all season because they had a ton of fast guys and our guys were with them, you know, running with them step for step. Right. And it wasn't, we weren't getting blown out. Like it wasn't, we weren't giving the, you know, the classic, you know, 10 yard cushion 
that we are used to seeing. And we were running with them every step of the way and the linebackers were getting coverage. They, you know, there were a lot of times where they were slow coming off of guys and it was, it kind of seemed like they picked on, uh, in coverage, they kind of, they picked on Keenan Peely a little bit, um, cause he had some struggles tackling and then he kind of, you know, as that spy got lost in the, a little bit, but overall he still played a really good game, but it was, it basically it freed up to bring more pressure that we, you know, being able to trust the back end frees you up to take more risks on the front end. And we saw that last night. And that's what we, we heard all through camp. That was what was going to happen. And that's what they were expecting. And it, it showed. Yeah. Without question, I, uh, that was a very good, uh, a really good performance from them. I, I do have to admit, I'm a little distracted. We have breaking news. And it's not about the Arizona post game, but Roy High School quarterback, athlete, Wide receiver at the next level, Parker Kingston, just announced that he has committed to BYU. I really like this pickup. We're going to talk about him more in depth on on Wednesday during our regular uh, weekly show. But it is worth mentioning. I mean, it's happening as we are speaking, so we have to talk about that. Uh, But Peyton Wilgar was the star of that defense. You're right. He was really aggressive. Uh, I wrote about you. And Chaz Ayu. Chaz was phenomenal. Stop taking Chaz off the field. I mean, without question, he is the most valuable player on that defense. Yeah, Chaz needs to um, stop cramping so he can stay on the field. Because well, he cramps were bothering him the entire game. Like, it was, there were a couple times when he popped up, and I was like, oh, no, he's hurt. And then he, he came off, just laid down, had someone stretch him two plays later, he was back on. And so he's got a, I don't know if it was the heat or just jitters, maybe, I don't know. Chaz, if, if your pee's not clear, bud, you got to keep drinking before game time. There, there was, uh, there was some issues I know on on the sidelines with the uh, with the Ed Lamb rotations, right? I mean, he he loves himself some hockey subs. I know that uh, particularly during that touchdown and that two point conversion, there was some some issues in, in getting the right personnel on the field because there was so much back and forth with who is playing and who is not. And so, man, uh, just the the hockey subs, burn them with fire. I I really hate it. It's and to me, I, I, you guys know this, I work in banking and in finance, and if we take this down and break it down to the most rudimentary level, in my mind, it's, it's an opportunity cost, right? Um, what is the cost of keeping guys fresh? And the cost is taking guys like Chaz Ayu off the field and putting guys like, with all due respect, to you know, Mitch Price or whoever else it is that, that ended up on the, on the field in place of Chaz... Ammon Hanneman played a little bit. Uh, Hayden Livingston played both free and strong at times. That is way too much of a price to pay for fresh Chaz Ayu legs. I, I, it just is. I, it's, so you got to keep Chaz Ayu on the field. Sub ten, unless Chaz like, unless he's coming to you saying, "I'm, you know, I'm gasping." Right, and I think they only did the hockey subs a couple <laughs> times. I remember one as they were driving deep, and I think they, uh, I think Lopa. Leitawa mentioned it in his post-game interview. He's like that they were gasping for air. Like they were just gassed. And so there was one time when they did it and got some fresh legs in. But yeah, I think you got you, you to gotta keep Chaz out there at all possible. He did, he did play the most amount of snaps, right? Like he played, he played 75 snaps out of 88. So he was out there for the vast majority of the game. But well, on I'd, those, like, I'd like on 85 those... of those 88. On those 13 that he was on the sideline, they they managed to score their only touchdown and convert a two-point conversion. I mean, he's that valuable. Yeah. I, loved, I loved the Peyton Wilgar game. Um, what I loved from Wilgar 
was his versatility that about half of the time he was in the box, he lined up as, 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 I guess, as a pass rusher with the defensive line. He even lined up as a, a slot guy a couple of times, playing kind of that nickelback as a big cover linebacker. Wilgar was everywhere. Keenan Peely was exceptional, racking up the tackles, kind of filling that Sione Takitaki role of just cover everything and make sure that, you know, you're the guy who doesn't miss tackles. Keenan Peely filled that role really, really well. He's what stands out on the box score. He's probably going to be the guy that, that gets highlighted in, you know, the BYU coaches show or whatever this week. But Peyton Wilgar was kind of the nucleus. Chaz Ayu and Peyton Wilgar, they were the nucleus of that defense. Uh, everything that, that happened, you know, all the good plays that Peely was able to make, the sacks that Tyler Batty was able to have, or the pressures that he was able to create, uh, it was started around Peyton Wilgar and started around uh, uh, Chaz Ayu. Those, those two were the center of everything. That was the good. The bad, I don't like to, I don't like to single out any individual player. I really, I try my best not to. But we got to talk about Joe Tukuafu, man. Like it was, it was, he was we really good. Sing, in... We can single out Joe Tukuafu because last year against Louisiana Tech, making his first start, and it was like the first time he'd played really in a game in like seven years, we named him our player of the game. So we have given so, him his, he, we have given him the good. He can, he can get the bad from us too. That's true. Know. And in fairness, as much crap as Britton Covey gets for being old, Joe Tukawafu is actually a year older than Britton Covey. So he is, we're not picking on a college kid. We're picking on a grown man back in college. He's a man. So, he's 40. Yeah, it's a little different. So Joe Tukawafu, and in fairness to Joe, he was phenomenal in run blocking. Like he, he was one of the better. He's a road grader. He is dominant in that respect. And everybody's going to point out the safety. Yeah, he got blown up on that play. There's no question. Like That happens. Things like that happen. You don't win every rep. If you do, you're an All-American. And Joe, all due respect, you're not an All-American. But short of that, he played really well in run blocking. Uh, in pass pro, he was a mess. Like It was bad. And so overall, you give up a little bit in run in, in in the running game, if you switch to Connor Pay full time, you do. There's just there's no uh, two ways around that. You give up some potential gaps for Tyler Algier, you know, for Lopini Katoa, whoever. But you gain a ton of consistency in pass protection. And so, in my mind, though they're listed as an or on the depth chart this week, this has to be Connor Pay's week. Otherwise, Utah and the way that they send Devin Lloyd on blitzes, the way that those defensive tackles, Vioni Moala, the way that they can abuse interior linemen, it will be a long night for Jaron Hall because that right guard is going to continue to be the center of attention for all things Utah defense. Joe struggled in a big way. Yeah, and it's looking at, and that was really the only... um, they were the only ones that subbed right across the, the, they were the only ones that subbed. So like Blake Freeland, Clark Barrington, James MP and Heron, Harris Lachance, they played every single offensive snap and then pay and Tukuafu split the other, um, split the other two. And it, it, interestingly enough, it was pay had more run blocking opportunities and about half as many or third as many pass blocking opportunities as Tukuafu did. Um, so it was, we'll see what, that goes, but I think it'll probably 
by the second quarter next week, it will be determined of like who is your guy that you're going to ride with, right? Like it's I, close I enough. So. You can they have, or it maybe even be at the first quarter because like they have their tape, they've seen what you can do. Um, and another bad thing, obviously, injuries, right? Like Gunner, Gunner Romney has an MCL um, that's going to be out for a few weeks. Max Tooley is, we heard some rumors before the game, they had a torn MCL and it was going to be out for a while. Um, it sounds like it was just a tweak and he, you know, warmed up and was in a brace and he's, you know, I, he will probably, I wouldn't be surprised if he plays this week given um, the nature of, you know, given the game that it is. Um, we also, I mean, who else is big? The Nakua's, like we saw Samson, Made the onside kick recovery. That was a big, huge play. Um, but the neither of them, they didn't get any snaps. And uh, I'm trying to think who else was out that didn't play. Tyler Batty uh, got banged up like the first series, and then but then he finished the game and came back in. I didn't see what happened to him. Uh, Malik Moore went out. Supposedly he's okay. Um, Jackson Kafusi was held out for the game. He did not play. Uh, at all as far as i know so there was there were some issues i mean there were some injuries i mean i think that the biggest thing that we learned is that uh uh coaches lie i mean it's one thing for a coach to not tell the truth but kalani man it was an it was an outright lie this week he was asked directly hey who's gonna play right and it was every name on that depth chart is expected to play is puka going to play quote Yup. Uh, end quote, right? And so it was a little different. Like, I, I was a little bit surprised. We had talked and reported about, you know, the injuries to Nakua, what we had been hearing to both Nakuas. And so I, I wasn't expecting him to play. I, I was not expecting him to play at all until that press conference. When that press conference came out and all of a sudden it was... Hey, he's he's the guy. He's yep, he's good. He's gonna play. He's listed on the depth chart. A little bit strange. So uh turns out Jake Oldroyd is also hurt. So there were a bunch of names on the the two deep this week, or I guess two deep last week, that Kalani specifically said anybody listed on that two deep is going to play, and they did not. A little bit weird. Yeah, and it's I think that's something that he uh picked up from his time under other coaches not to be named that mm. operate the same way and it's and, and it's totally fine i'm totally for that right like it's came on the op chart like if i would i never want to hear about a player being suspended i would like to just see their playing time cut and you just think you know let the coaches take the heat right like of i know this isn't this is the example that i'm thinking of and this is nothing happened with jackson mcchesney but you remember two years ago jackson mcchesney ran for like 7,000 yards against UMass and then got like one carry against San Diego State the next week. I do. Like, I would like suspensions to be like that where it's like, oh, they got like one series. I noticed they were in the game, but then they never played. What the hell are the coaches doing? And like, let the coaches take the heat and then just make them stand there and suffer on the sideline, you know? And especially in the game like that, that they ended up, we ended up losing. It's like, oh, I let everyone down because I could have been out there helping them. And we could have won if I hadn't screwed up. That's how right. I, but that's an aside. Um, tackling, I think for me is the biggest thing, like going down the list. Uh, and it's really a lot on the defensive line. So bad grades. Uh, I'm like, I just pulled up PFF. They went through and graded the game already. Uh, Leia Tawa, 31.9. Jacob Robinson uh, played 49 snaps in the nickel slot position, 39.1. Uh, Caleb Hayes, who PFF has 
named as Cameron Carroll for some reason. Um, 21.7. That is very not good. Uh, Tyler Batty, 41.8. Drew Jensen only played a handful of snaps, 42.6. And our guy, Lorenzo Fawatea, 27.4. And so, and that was something that was mentioned. Um, and that was something that was, and uh, also, you know, Keenan Peely was at 62.2, which is on the lower end. Right? Most of the other starters were in the 70s. And then uh, he struggled um, a bit, especially on that one, uh, like third and 15 or whatever that the quarterback ran for. Um, and so we, we just struggled with tackling, right. And making good open field tackling and they, and U of A, they just picked on that all night with those quick receivers and basically just got speed and said, Hey, like make one move and get five yards. It was, even though Jed fish and Brandon Carroll, the offensive coordinator are both NFL guys and they ran, you know, they lined up in a lot of more pro style sets, you know, with the in tight under center, all that stuff. The cons, like conceptually, what they were doing, throwing the ball around, was very air raidy, right? Like it's, I mean, Gunnar Cruz threw the ball forty six times, right? And it's like they were just trying to, they were doing a lot of, you know, just get the ball short and to your fastest guy and hope he gets five yards. And if you do that, then you're going to keep getting first downs, and that's really what they did. Um, and so I don't, so we struggled in tackling, and a lot of that is just they probably. I mean, you don't practice at that level. You don't practice tackling that much, right? Like you expect guys to know how to tackle. You do it a little bit, but it's most of the fundamentals. Like your time in practice is spent around game planning and you just, you know, we'll do a little bit of refresher of some fundamental and you're kind of rotating through the list of fundamental things you're working on, but you're not doing it every single day. And so they will probably hit that a ton this week. And because I know Keenan Peely mentioned it in his postgame interview that they struggled with it. Kalani mentioned it, that he was not happy with it. And so I expect a big improvement this week because it just, it will be the focus of, you know, kind of those technique segments of practice this week. Yeah, I, I'm never going to lose sleep about missed tackles in the first game of a season because it, it's training camp, man. I mean, that's that's the physicality. That part of the game is something that you can't simulate. No matter how hard you practice, no matter what scrimmages you do, that you cannot simulate. So, yep. uh, yes, it was absolutely a problem. I'm not ready to say it's a concern unless we see it for for even you know, three or four weeks, uh, but definitely needs to improve. If BYU is going to beat Utah, it absolutely was a problem against Arizona, but I'm not going to lose much sleep about missed tackles during the opening game of the season. Uh, Garrett, I don't know how to do this, but I guess it's time for Q&A. Do you want to go through uh, the thread and what questions were asked there, or do you want to, to, to open it up? How, yeah. You you lead the way, yep. man. Okay, I so I, I just turned it on so we can have some requests. Um, let me hop into the thread and see. Um, let's see. Nick Collender asks, do we feel good about the matchup with Utah's tight ends and running back platoon? The linebackers going to need to have themselves a game. Um, that said, their O-line doesn't look as imposing. Um, on the O-line, I just sent Jeff this as we were talking about. Um, they're starting O-line against Weber State on Thursday, graded out on PFF. Uh, left tackle, 58.3. Guard, 72.3. Center, forward, 39.2. Guard, 73.8. And the tackle... Uh, right tackle 63.6. That's not a great performance brought in against an FCS team um, by their O-line. Is that, that said, it's still Utah, right? Even a bad Utah O-line is still better than most of the country and same on their defensive line. Like it's not easy. It's not, you know, they're not suddenly going to be UNLV or San Diego, you know, or UNLV or New Mexico bad in the trenches. Um, But it does look like they, in the trenches, they are not 
what their fans have been blessed with seeing and spoiled with seeing and what we have been cursed to face for the last decade, right? It's, it's kind of a rebuilding there. You're there for them. Um, but what do you think about that? Uh, yeah. I mean, overall, um, Jim Harding has earned the benefit of the doubt. Definitely. And so I don't, and this is kind of what Utah's MO is. They, they always have an ugly opening game, like almost all the time. And offensive line, from just an offensive line perspective, they almost always struggle up front early, and then Harding gets that group progressively better as the season goes on. Uh, I expect big improvement from that group. Jaron Kump was out. He's a starting tackle. Satoa Laumea was out. He's a starting guard. So they, ha- they were dealing with some injuries. So I, I don't know that they're going to be running it, you know, firing on all cylinders this week, but they're going to be better. They're going to have their full personnel back and uh, like i say jim harding is a he's a heck of an offensive line coach and so i trust i trust i i mean i i if he was our offensive line coach at byu i would have a lot of faith in him making the appropriate connection so uh the biggest uh, the biggest issue to me isn't the tight ends i think that byu has the the linebackers and they have guys like Chaz that that can hang with tight ends in coverage so the fatheringham keithy and dalton kincaid was actually the the star of the tight end show for Utah last week, they're going to get theirs. They're good players. They're going to get theirs for sure. I'm far more concerned with the Britton Coveys, Jalen Dixon, and, and Solomon Enos. Those, those guys, uh, they, they bring... Stanley Berryhill killed BYU. He was the one Arizona receiver who could consistently kill BYU. And I I think I see more Stanley Berryhills on Utah's roster than I did on Arizona's roster. So... The wide receivers worry me much more than the tight ends or the running backs do. I, I think BYU looks bigger. They they do. BYU looks noticeably bigger up front and in the linebackers this year. I don't think they'll get pushed around by linebacker or by uh by like Tavion Thompson, big running backs. But I do think that they could struggle on the edges in the secondary with some of the speed that Utah wide receivers have. Yeah, and I mean, even then, like last last couple of years, and uh, we've kind of struggled against the run. And obviously, Arizona. I think Arizona is going is much better than what people expected them to be going into the season. And a lot of that is because I think Jed Fish actually kind of. I think he's he very much surprised me, and I think he's got a good thing going. Um, you know, those guys came out ready to play, and they had a lot more faith in themselves than they had than I expected for a team that has lots that had lost twelve straight games. Um, but they only rushed for two under two and a half yards to carry. Like our run defense was excellent. Um, and so it's, I think that is a matchup that, I mean, it's, I think I'm not too stressed about it. And like you said, I'm more worried about the, the skill positions outside um, in there. Let's see. We had, so El said, are, am I crazy for not thinking James MP played as well as I would have hoped? We didn't have as much success running between the tackles. Maybe the guards were the issue. Um, and he said, also was surprised that, uh, Haran seemed to be the next man up ahead of Hayes after Ellis went out. I was really excited for Hayes. He was a good player at Oregon state. Is it just him getting caught up on the defense? Um, so Hayes ended up playing quite a bit. So Hayes ended up with, Hayes played a bunch. He ended up with 41 snaps and Haran had 49. So they ended up just playing about 50, 50. Um, and so I don't, I want to read too much into that. Um, and MP, um, I expected us to run the ball inside a little more. Um, and but a lot of that too. I mean, maybe some of that was just the way it was, or some of it's just the tackles are 
good, right? I, like, yeah, he's in two guards and the tackles are there and Tyler Algiers fast enough to get around the edge. So you don't need to, even though he's big, you don't need to run inside with him all the time. I didn't expect BYU to run inside. I, and frankly, I don't know why we would. Uh, BYU was an outside zone scheme, a wide zone scheme. That, that's what they do. And that's what they did most of last year. And I think it would be kind of silly to expect them to change that after all the success that they have. And like I say, Teller Algiers got a little bit more burst this year. Um, and a very direct, succinct answer. Are you crazy for thinking James Empey didn't play well? Yes. Uh, in a new opening game against a very blitz-heavy defense, for Empey to get assignments right, to get coverages called out right, to get inexperienced guards in the right position and BYU to average, uh, even with Jaron Hall's sack yardage or, or loss of yardage on his scrambles that he had to take to average more than four and a half yards a carry and only have one sack against that defense, that that's a heck of a performance from your, your offensive line captain. Like I get it. Everybody wishes that they could you know run for 500 yards a game. But that's just not practical. Uh, BYU was very balanced. They protected the quarterback. And when the holes were needed to be there, the holes were there. So I, I, I think the offensive line played really well. And, and uh, as much as I love you know guys like Blake Freeland and Harris Lachance, it all starts with James Empey up front. He, he is calling out every assignment, every pre-snap read. He is getting guys in the right spot. So whenever there is any offensive line success, go ahead and, and thank James Empey because he is a very, very large part of that, uh, even if it isn't him making the block. Um, okay, let's hop into, do, 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 let me see if we, we have no requests. We, we do this call-in show. There's 25 of us listening and no one wants to get on the air and talk to us. Jeff, are we that boring? Maybe they just left their phones on. I mean, I don't blame them. I don't oh. want to talk to me. Okay. Da- Danny wants to talk to us. Let's see. It will I- connect. It might be asking him. We've still got for- some skinks. We still, yes, we do. Oh, he's here. Brother Holmgren, talk to us. Yeah, I just got one question. I need a bold prediction from you guys. My oldest son, Maverick, was not yet on this earth the last time that we beat Utah. He's going to become a deacon in January. Is he going to become a deacon having beat the Utes? Um, I don't I will say yes, because you put me on the spot like that. I've, I'm a man of faith, so I will say yes. I can't look uh, a child in the eye and say no. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm there. I, I don't see it. I don't. I, there's, there's a lot. Of, we'll talk about it more this week on our, our full Utah preview. There's a lot more that has to go right in order for BYU to win than, than there is for Utah. I think uh, Utah is, they're big. They're tough. They're well coached. Like right? we, all the things we know about Utah. This game's going to be incredibly challenging, and I. I would go ahead and uh, has that line climbed up above a touchdown yet? I don't think it has. If it is still see. under a touchdown, everybody should go hedge their happiness and, and just lay some money on Utah so that if BYU does lose, you can be a little bit happier because you at least compensated yourself for that loss. Uh, let's see. It On DraftKings, they'd opened at five and a half. It has moved to six and a half, but still under... Under, and if you are in Arizona, sports gambling is will be legal in Arizona starting on Thursday, and everybody in their dog is giving away free money if you make like a twenty dollar deposit. So you can you can bet a whole lot of money 
for Utah to win that game and hedge your happiness quite quite well. I think uh, there was one. I don't know. I got an ad for. I think it was the FanDuel. It was like make a ten dollar deposit and you got a two hundred dollar bet for free. Hey yo. So <clears throat> everyone can take care of that. Uh, Danny, what other thoughts? You, Danny, you were at the game. Um, you had. You were sitting. I believe you texted me during the game that you were sitting near the Hall family, right? Yes. Uh-huh. And so, did you have a chance to talk to Kalen? Like, you know how? I don't know. I'm. I don't know. Like, were you sitting next next to them, or just like you saw them and they were a couple rows in front of you next to them, or? So no, I didn't talk to him. Uh, I I saw him a bunch because Jamal Willis was sitting right next to me. Um. And Kalen probably before the game spent 20 or 30 minutes talking to Jamal. So I kind of just was trying to not be a creep, but also be a creep a little bit. Um, <laughs> but creep? probably did you share with us, share with us what you gleaned from this conversation of two greats. It was, I, I couldn't hear a whole lot because Kalen's back was turned to me. Um, but I did hear them talking just about preparation when they, when he knew, uh, that he was going to be QB one, which it sounds like that was known by Jaron long before it was announced. Um, at least in terms of what he told to Jamal. Um, but beyond that, uh, he, about 10 rows in front of them, um, was where the Wilson family was and the halls were some, I couldn't actually see exactly where halls were sitting, but it was somewhere a row or two down in front of the Wilsons. Got it. The, I, I thought it was really cool. Well, uh, this is how dumb I was. The, I remember when they showed Zach Wilson, I was like, Oh, that's cool. He came back to the game. And then like 10 minutes later, I was like, Oh yeah, that's right. Josh is on the team still. That makes sense yep. for him to be here. Um, but the, so what else, um, if you have anything to say, we don't have any other requests in the queue. I know uh, I see Derek, you're on here. Corley, um, if you want to hop on, you can. Uh, Corley Ward, who's our X's and O's expert over at Cougar Sports Insider, um, who I think Corley has watched more tape from a technical perspective than probably anybody else on this call or maybe even on um, the server. But if we have a couple more questions, we have time to field them. Um, we also... We Bean, Bean, Bean Mace just hopped on the show, and I'm assuming Bean uh, from the hospital still. Are you home? Bean was in a really scary car accident. If you didn't see that, uh, drunk driver got him head on. Uh, glad Bean, glad you're able to join us. Glad you're still here with us, man. I mean, that was that was scary stuff. Uh, he just sent me a message here, and he said, "My only question is Coogies by 90," and said yeah. that he is he is home now. And surgery, he will have surgery this week. I think he said he's got to get a plate in his arm, um, a plate in his arm, and a few screws. Um, so that's don't don't be an idiot, right? Well, I don't think ninety five percent of the people listening to this probably don't drink at all. But don't be an idiot. It's not drink. If you're going to drink, drink responsibly, because we could have. I mean, it was scary. Like I looking at the accident, I am surprised that Bean only made it out with a broken arm. Yeah, me too. Um, cause that is never something. And he's even after all that crap, he's going to have fun. Like my wife was in an accident last October and still dealing with all the legal crap of, you know, f- the lawsuit and trying to get paid, um, uh, for all of the injuries. Um, uh, so it's, it's terrible. Um, and he just messaged me and said, love y'all much appreciated. So get well being, um, cool. If we have, 
we saw we have no other requests. This is kind of a, a flop. I, I'm disappointed. <laughs> well, I mean, people, if we want to wrap it up, that's that's totally fine. We, we will be doing our regular uh, weekly episode this week. Uh, make sure you send us your feedback on this format, what you guys think. Um, if you if this is something you want to continue doing or not, um, that's the the beauty of the Give Them Hell Brigham platform is that we we kind of can do whatever we want to do. So by all means, everybody, uh, send in your feedback. Let us know what does and doesn't work. Yeah, and we do have uh, Derek is on here. Let me see if he can um, do, do, do. If I don't know if I can unmute him or if he may need to unmute himself. But Derek Miles. Oh, he just unmuted himself. Derek, what were your thoughts on the game? Oh, Derek man. Miles, your name, or Derek you, Miles. It's, your last name is not actually Miles, but your first name is Derek. My first name is Derek. Middle name's Miles. That's last name Bradley. That's all three of them. Uh, what's your um, uh, social security number, mother's maiden name? Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, man, it's just so great to have BYU football back. That's my first thought. Um, Amen. Oh, it's just so much fun. You just think about it all year long, and I don't know, the hype just builds and builds, and it was great. Um, sorry, I've been getting my workout in this evening, so just been listening. Um, I was a little disappointed in kind of the boom-bust nature of the offense. Um, you know, it was like either we were having a really big play and um, scoring, scoring points, or we were kind of just getting stopped. Um, what did you guys think about that? Yeah, you know, uh, I, I think that uh, A-Rod kind of talked about it in his presser that uh, they had to be a little bit conservative because of of what uh, Don Brown was throwing at him. It was not something that they had seen before, and I think that you could probably read into that and and conclude that they they didn't know what to expect. That's that's Week one is nuts. Look across college football. There's yeah. upsets. There's all this crazy stuff. It's really tough to prepare. And so I think... If they could play that same game again tomorrow, it's a completely different game plan, and you see a lot more consistency from the offense. But when you're planning for a complete unknown, you kind of just have to put together the basics and hope to capitalize on those big plays. And if those basics aren't working, then then, then that's really it, right? It is boomer bust because those big plays are the only thing you got. And I, I actually was impressed. I thought BYU did well at adjusting on the fly, which is not something that's easy to do with a quarterback who's in his first real start, his first start against a Power 5 program. Uh, but first half BYU and first half you know game script was very different than what we saw in the second half. There was a lot more Tyler Algier in the second half. Jaron Hall looked a lot more comfortable. And you could see the play calling kind of reflect Jaron Hall's comfort as the game went on. It wasn't a, an overly impressive game plan, but but week one with that unknown factor, it, it's tough to expect too much. If this was, you know, week one against Arizona State, where you have a year or two's worth of film on Zach Hill's offense down there in Tempe, then you expect a little bit more uh, specificity and nuance to the game plan. But this one, they had to go really vanilla because you really don't know what else to do. So you've got your base offense. That supposedly is your bread and butter, what you do better than anything else. So start there and then kind of branch out from there. And as you watch the second half, I think it did start to get that way. It just kind of took a little bit to get the engine going and get to that point. Yeah. I, I mean, oh, go. Sorry, Garrett, go yeah, ahead. No, you go ahead. I, I just definitely agree. I think a lot of it, and, you know, as looking back through and kind of as I 
clicked back through like on PFF and noticed um, just how many times even like the tight ends were blocking, it was obvious that they went very conservative. And that's something, you know, that we say, um, you know, we <clears throat> have, you know, we always want to say like the first week of the season of like, oh, right. Like we, it's, we just kept it really vanilla. didn't want to show everything. And in this case, it wasn't so much that we didn't want to show everything. It was like, you didn't want to prepare too. you didn't want to have too big of a menu and then show up and be like, oh, well, this isn't going to work. But you can, if you especially have a mobile quarterback, you know, you can plan on running the ball and getting, you know, decently well and running max pro and giving your quarterback enough time because the defense isn't going to be able to cover forever and hope he finds the guy who's open eventually. And that's, you know, and that's exactly what we saw. I totally agree with um, both of what you said. Um, last thing I'll, I'll leave you with is, um, yeah, the, the game was closer than we all maybe hoped and expected. Um, but the thing that was really great and, and um, was kind of illustrated by the whole game is that, well, we all knew that BYU was a much better team and program than Arizona. And it was actually apparent throughout the whole game. You know, um, it ended up being close, but it was obvious um, how much better of a team BYU was than Arizona. And it just, and it, and it played out in the end. With BYU, right. with BYU being in control. Um, yeah, and I so, think if you, even if you take away, this is weird, if you take away the huge sack that Tyler Batty had, because like the sack took them out of field goal range, they punt the ball, it goes out on the one-yard line, the O-line completely whiffs, and the Lapini Toa gets sacked five yards deep in the end zone. And then the most incredible hurdle I have, well, second most incredible hurdle I've ever seen in a football game happens. They get the ball at the 50 and they have a bunch of momentum and score a touchdown, right? Like it's, if you take away that sack and they either make the field goal or miss a field goal, then it's like, we're looking at what, oh, it's 21 to six, even if they make it, or it's 21 to three and we get the ball back with decent field position and probably drive down the field and we add another score. If that game's 28 to three, we're chewing out the clock and it feels like a huge blowout and we're not even asking any of these questions. Yep. Totally agree. Um, shout out to Bean Mace. Get well soon, man. Yeah. Um, and then our last uh, call, we do have uh, Mike Polson raise his hand here. Uh, let's get Mike in. Mike, yeah. how's it going? I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? I'm doing good. good. It's football season again. Oh, I'm very aware of that. I have uh, my wife, but I love it a lot. Um, so I guess my question is, I'm thinking about the Utah game this week. Um, obviously, you guys talked about how vanilla the concepts were. So um, in adjusting for the Utah game, how do you expect that we will attack them? Um, you know, they've known, been known to have very good defenses. And I guess in a little contrast to that, how do you think they might attack us? Seeing, uh, you know, what Arizona just did to us. Um, you know, they have Covey and was it Jalen Dixon? Those are guys are kind of a little sh small and shifty, kind of like uh, Barry Hill. But, you know, a big part of their attack is the more physical tight ends and running backs they don't they don't usually focus on those shifty guys so i was just wondering what you guys thought all about that uh i i think we're going to see uh, i mean let's start with i guess let's start uh with, with the utah offense uh i like charlie brewer i think he i don't think he's you know, he's not Jim McMahon. He's not going to come and totally revolutionize Utah football. But right. I think he could come in and, and run that Andy Ludwig offense pretty effectively. Uh, he's yeah. accurate. He's more mobile than people give him credit for. So I would expect uh, Utah to, to rely heavily on Tavion Thomas. He's a big 
ball of a running back. They they list four running backs as starters on their their two deep. But mm-hmm. it's Tav- it's the Tavion Thomas show, and it probably should be. So I think Tavion Thomas is there's going to be a heavy dose of him attacking uh, the outside of of the BYU defensive line and making those defensive ends step up and tackle and trying to spread out those linebackers. I don't think they're gonna. You're gonna see a ton of deep balls from Charlie Brewer. I think you're gonna see a lot of, you know, Jalen Covey, Britton, uh, Jalen Covey, Jalen Dixon, and Britton Covey, uh, and mesh routes, underneath routes, things like that, to try to create just a little bit of space and get the ball to them in space, so that they can go out and make a play. That's that's kind of what you could see the elements of when they when they played Weber State last week. I think that's going to be where Utah's offense looks to go. As far as BYU's offense and how they attack that Utah defense, uh, I am not as much of a believer in the interior of Utah's defensive line this year as I am in most years. Now, it's nice. admittedly, it's a very, very high bar. Lucky Fotu, John Pedicini, they were, they were great. They're both in the NFL now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think Vianne Mowala and uh, you know, Huati Pututau, I don't think that those guys are there. And then certainly behind them, Utah does like to rotate you know, two, three deep at the defensive tackle position. They've got Devin Kafusi, who's in the two deep now, but 300 pounds playing defensive tackle. I don't buy it, right? I don't think that Me that's, neither. I don't think that's the way to go. So I, I would attack there. Uh, the linebackers are going to be great. Devin Lloyd is great. Uh, Nephi Sewell is really, really good. So the linebackers are going to be tough to, to beat, but I think if if BYU can get Algier established early, and, and I would expect to see a lot more Jaron in the run game against Utah, a lot more read option looks to try and make those defensive ends commit, take them out of the game a little bit or out of the play a little bit, and then attack defensive tackles when you can, force those linebackers up, and then hopefully you see a little bit more Dallin Holker and Isaac Rex. I think that's kind of the game plan I would go. I don't see, unless Puka and Samson are playing, I don't see BYU being able to create a ton of space out wide. Uh, Clark Phillips might be the best cornerback that Utah has ever had, and, and, and Travis Broughton's no joke either. So yeah. very good. Yeah, my uh, takeaway when I was watching the game this week was Utah will not let Pau do what uh, he just did against Arizona. I feel like yeah. Whittingham will have a you know a big target on him, double him at times or so let's hope that uh, Puka and Samson are healthy enough to you know, get open and do their thing. Absolutely agree. Cool. Um, so we've been going, running just about to an hour now. Uh, I think this is a good time to give a wrap, and we will be back. Um, so by the time if you're listening to this, we should be, obviously, hit your podcast feed. We'll be back on Wednesday night, Thursday morning um, with our regular, with our regular uh, whatchamacallit, episode. It's late. Uh, I'm still recovering from the severe lack of sleep over the weekend. And hey, man, I, my I think... my voice my voice is still gone. But mm. I I've noticed as we've been recording that I feel like I've got a much better radio voice when I have uh, this little bit of horse. Not all the way horse. Not like I'm, my voice is cracking. There's a really fine line for me between I have my regular kind of girly voice. And then I have like no voice and I sound like I'm going through puberty voice, but there's this really small sweet spot. And I feel like I'm in it that I feel like I, I could have a career if I could always just be a little horse in radio. I mean, you just need to yell at your kids more. I think that's the obvious answer though. And then you can, you can make that happen. Um, so with that, we will sign off and uh, give every, give them hell this week, everybody. And we will be back next. Uh, I guess, 
probably not late Sunday night, Saturday, probably next Sunday night, we'll have a uh, called a fireside. We'll embrace our BYU weirdness and have a fireside. And uh, it's this was a good, I think this was a good thing. And uh, we will be back. And everyone, enjoy your week.